kind of disappointed. I wanted to hear more of that song. It's just it's a, uh, it needs to be at least a minute longer. Do you think so? Two or three minutes longer for sure. I forgot the movies we were supposed to talk about because I was just so I was like in that in well, that moment. Supposed to be Adam. Oh yeah. wait, no, not yet. I mean, no. I mean, oh god damn it! You just throw me off. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, hold on. <clears throat> hey guys, uh, welcome back to Director Showdown. It's me, Brian. Everyone. I'm Adam. I'm your yeah. host, Adam. And I'm your other host, Brian. That is very offensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you are confused because these voices are clearly not uh, the regular hosts of this show, it's because this is a surprise crossover episode. More like takeover. Okay. Hostile takeover episode. Like, go of my throat, John. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Sorry. I got a little into that. Um, my name's e- Emmanuel. And I am John. And we are of a different, a parallel universe. We are. We, we, we sit right next to the, the current universe. Yeah. Fuck, I almost like fucking up that joke now. Uh, we're hosts of another podcast called Revenge of the Sequel, a podcast just about sequels. Mm-hmm. And this week, we are crossing over, and the hosts of this podcast, Adam and Brent, are doing our podcast, and we're doing their pro- podcast. Podcast, yeah. There you go. It's like Wife Swap. It totally is like wife swap shit. In wife swap, are the rules that you can also have sex with them, or is it? Can you spank their kids, or is? Or what are the lines of wife swap? Do I don't know. Think? I think. Do, do you know more of that than I do? Because I, I don't actually have a wife, so like I can't really say for certain that I've wanted to try. Yeah, swapping. Whatever they, oh, I'm talking about the show. I'm not talking about oh, okay. <laughs> like, like a key shit. party, John. Oh, you fuck. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I'm not trying to get cuckolded here. I'm God trying. Damn. To, I'm talking about the show Wife Swap. Where, uh, is that an actual show? Am it's I a show. Like, oh, it's, le- it's not sexual in any nature. It's just how would you be as the mom of this other family? Or how would you be as the wife to this other husband, well, I guess? Fuck, it shows how much I know about this. And I'm just like, I You're was missing running out. with like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're in their 15th season. and <laughs> 15th season? Are I feel serious? like they've been on TLC forever. Wife Swap. Oh, shit. I need to get on that. Fuck, I need to add that to my... Was yeah. that my Hulu uh, playlist? Forget the last season of Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. Watch Wife Swap. <laughs> same level of uh, writing in, in between the two. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Director Showdown. Director Showdown. This um, this episode is kind of a special episode since um, you know obviously Delphin and I are hosting. Um, we're doing two movies here. Um, we don't mm-hmm. get the luxury that Adam and Brent yeah. have for like an episode per movie, so we thought it would be really cool to do like a little mini season. It's also um, not fair just to talk about one director. If that's we- true, because what's, what's the showdown if we're just talking about like one director's oh, movie? Oh, and if this is your very first episode of listening to this, thanks for joining us, but we're not going to be here next week. <laughs> or the previous week. So, uh, sorry <laughs> for confusing like- you greatly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what is this? I like this. That's uh, true. If you haven't turned it off by now, yeah. and, then if like... you, and if you don't like it, guess what? New host. We just got fired. New host next week. <laughs> uh, but so basically, what's really fun about this podcast and what I really admire is they you've go. A, you've been a you've been a guest on this podcast. Yeah, before. I sure have. Yeah. And I believe I don't know if this record's been broken yet in the longest episode of this podcast. Ooh. Director showdown. I'll look it up at some point. But I like to say Guinness World. Uh, call me Guinness Book of World Records. Call me. Find out if I'm on the longest director showdown episode. Right. Yeah. But I feel that. like I was. Um, but uh, so I like this podcast because they go into and it's a really great way to study film and they go into the mind of these filmmakers uh, because I think all films are are reflections of the people that made them or the mind behind them. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, it doesn't even matter if it's like a big 
old Marvel movie or Star Wars movie, they're still a they're still very connected to the whoever the director is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> oh, I just burped. You just it sounds like you just choked on your own tongue. Like, <laughs> I, I really did. <laughs> I don't know how to talk good. Um, but so so. So it's a really great way to study and watch people's movies or these artists' movies all in a row, all together in a nice repertoire. Um, and even though it's called Director Showdown, I feel like there isn't an actual showdown. showdown. It's not like we're going to be like Citizen Kane sucks compared to you know Blue Jasmine. Oh, damn. I thought we were going to do like some sort of live stream where I'm dressed up as Paul Feig and you're <laughs> Tim Burton. Wrestle. Yeah. You, you have the Tim Burton wig already with you. That's, freaking That's crazy. true. And you know I have all my animatronic dolls around yeah. me in a weird fashion. <laughs> you have some stop motion things on your shoulders, yeah. like little parrots. But I'm super excited because uh, on our crossover episode, we chose uh, two filmmakers from a previous season. Right, yeah. Um, Tim Burton. And Paul Feig. And Paul Feig, who I always mistake as Kevin as Feig. Kevin Feige. The yeah. producer of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, our our, um, our episode comes from... Uh, it was kind of weird, like, kind of choosing this these movies, because we couldn't really... Um, looking at their previous seasons, they've done some really cool stuff. Um, that being said, I think they're, they've had the... And I guess Adam and Brent will confirm this whenever we talk to them. Yeah. Um, they've had the strongest resistance towards uh, their season three episodes, where they're um, where they you know get trapped in hell, yeah, and are forced to watch um, movies they don't want to watch. Yeah, movies they don't want to watch. Basically, I think uh, Tim Burton is a uh, is a you know not a favorite, I guess, of Brent, of theirs, and yeah. then um, Paul Feig is. I think I'm assuming is the non favorite of uh, Adam. Interesting. And um, we're going to talk about. Uh, well, let's talk about the two movies we're going to We're talking. We're going to be talking about in this episode. We're talking about two movies. You got a right, double yeah. whammy. You got a two for one special. We actually, yeah. And then for this one, I was really excited because yeah. like uh, it seems like the movies they've done in the past weren't strong entries. If they done, um, go, they've done Batman, uh, Unaccompanied Minors, Planet of the Apes, I Am David, Alice in Wonderland, and the Ghostbusters remake. We actually chose. At least I would I would hope people like them like the way we did. Yeah. Um, some really good um, Burton and Feig movies. Yeah. So we chose Ed Wood from Tim Burton. I think came out in the 90s. 94. Ni- yeah. Ooh, I was alive, but not doing anything. <laughs> I wasn't podcasting yet. You, so was oh, okay. I really alive? I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And then A Simple Favor from Paul, Paul Feig. Feig. And yeah, 2018. One of his most ambitious movies, I will say. You would think You think so? I think well, we're so. We're going to get into that, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, so those are the two movies. If you haven't seen them, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Full on spoilers. Um, yeah. Oh, Mad Wood. I also, mean, let's spoil Endgame right now. <laughs> we'll just do it. Ed Wood is pretty, uh, pretty old. So like I... I would assume people have seen that, or at least like you know, there's no real spoiler alert yeah, for a movie like that. Google when he dies. <laughs> You're just gonna get like just a Wikipedia page yeah. for just Ed Wood himself. It's a bigger spoiler alert for a simple favor because that is a straightforward thriller with a bunch of plot points. Oh so yeah, If yeah, you haven't a, seen a simple favor, it's very twisty. Uh, watch that movie. It's probably available somewhere um, because we're gonna talk about the plot. And yeah, it's exactly. A, yeah. Quite an uh, insane plot. Um, but first of all, I'd like to ask you, John. Two prong question. Uh, there's parts one, parts B, part C, and then part C three. Oh shit! Hold on, let me write C3 all those PO. parts down. Here we go. <laughs> it's a simple, simple question. I guess we'll go director by director. But I'm going to ask you what your favorite films are by the, each of these directors. So, what's your favorite Tim Burton movie? Um, and what's your favorite Paul Feig movie? And then what's your favorite Kevin Feig movie? Fuck it. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> My favorite Tim Burton movie. I think a knee jerk reaction. I want to say like Beetlejuice. Mm. Um, that you know. Like that's that would be like the one that I, I again I wanted to say it. I guess I, I have more of an uh, I connect more to Ed Wood um, because of being in, in a filmmaking background and seeing like you know this because Ed Wood is a like a pretty awesome positive movie and it's very different from Burton's 
other movies which kind of rely on style. Um, not to say that Ed Wood doesn't have, you know, style. He's It's got, like, his trademark zaniness and, like, you know, eccentric humor. But um, it's not as, like, you know, it's not as, I guess, you know, big, you know, uh, expressionist set heavy as, like, his other movies. So I like Ed Wood um, from Tim Burton. It's probably my favorite Tim Burton movie. And for Paul Feig, that's a hard one. I've only seen – I've not yeah. seen – I'll go ahead and actually uh, admit that I haven't seen too many. He doesn't have. I was looking. He, I haven't even seen the ones they've talked about on this podcast. So before. he has a fourth of the of, of a filmography as Tim Burton. So right, yeah, it's not that many movies. He's he comes kind from of, a comedy background. Yeah, yeah, and he's involved in a lot of TV, Freaks and Geeks, and The Office, and all the right, amazing uh-huh. stuff that he does. So he seems like he's an eclectic. Uh, I would say just artist, but he doesn't have an incredible long, incredibly long catalog of films like of motion yeah. pictures that he's made i just looked it up too. side note i do not have the longest episode of director showdown oh i did at the time it was two hours 19 minutes but they just did a almost three hour episode on dark knight or, or something like that oh really so yeah so they oh well uh so guinness world record book uh you don't have to cancel call that me yeah cancel, Can, that, cancel that order i can't afford that book that you're about to say <laughs> um so yeah really interesting so my favorite tim burton movie <laughs> is uh I, I it's a pretty recent i mean Ed Wood's really good, but I, I feel like uh, my favorite Tim Burton movie, because I was exposed to this, and again, a really big importance is it's we're not asking what the best Tim Burton movie is. Objectively, favorite, it's just my favorite. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, oh, well, whatever. Yeah, well, what's your favorite then? I, no, I guess I'll still stick with it. I, I don't want to be like Beetlejuice is really here. fun, yeah. Beetlejuice is really fun. I yeah. love Beetlejuice. Um, I grew up with that movie. I guess that would be like my favorite, I guess. Yeah. Shit. Like if I'm actually saying like favorite, the rewatchability, yeah, like... You can watch Beetle that. Beetlejuice is yeah. like, yeah, it's pretty universal. I loved, uh, it's a tie for me between, I really love Frank and Weenie a lot. And I know this sounds kind of weird, but uh, I really like Frank and Weenie. Weenie. <laughs> Frank and Weenie. Frank and Weenie, Ooh. because I feel like that was so much of a love project for him. But uh, I mean, to be honest, the one that probably influenced me the most growing up that I can watch over and over again is Mars Attacks. I Mars had that Attacks. DVD when I was a kid. It's it's kind of a super campy movie. Um, we almost did that for this. Oh, we, yeah. had to, we actually had to change uh, trajectory there and yeah. like, and do a little bit more of a serious movie because I think um, one of the things I texted you was like, which is really funny because I had finished watching Mars Attacks. Like, and then it's so funny. It's really fun to watch. Yeah, it's super goofy and yeah. like it's it's a it's a good time. Uh, Jack Nicholson playing like those three fucking characters and if stuff. If you look at the IMDb, the cast of this movie is fucking it's insane. In, yeah, it's huge. Um, when we when I had just watched it though, I was like, I don't think this is going to be a really good movie to pair up. I hadn't seen a simple favor yet, yeah. um, but I know it's not like in that tone or anything. So I kind of wanted something a little bit more s- serious from. Yeah, well, the matchup. I don't want to say matchup, but the pairing has to be somewhat fair in a way. And this, I think we picked a good one. Edward and the Simple Favor will both, both open up. Pieces, yeah. yeah, both. And then they'll open up the door for us to be able to just to talk about these two filmmakers yeah, because mm-hmm. these are them at a, a good point of their career, right, I will uh-huh. say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so those are our favorite movies. Actually, I didn't say my favorite Paul Feig one. Yeah, because you said you tell. hadn't seen. Have you seen Bridesmaids? I wouldn't want to say Bridesmaids then. Like, Bridesmaids my, is my really one. good. Yeah. And. Uh, the complexity of Bridesmaids might be lost on some people, but it's a very complex ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a whole lot that goes right in that movie. And, uh, I mean, it has an Oscar nom, I think, doesn't it? 
Oh, no, a Golden Globe nom. I thought I did have an Oscar nom. Maybe you did. Maybe a screenwriting one. Maybe. I'm not sure. Hey, oh. Probably check that. Guinness World Book Records, give us a call again. We're back (laughs) in, baby. For a fact check. (laughs) I know. You guys fact check, don't you? You have to for those records. (laughs) So I'm sure you've got one. Um, But yeah, let's go right into it. Um, Who should we pick first? Should we flip a coin or what? Oh, let's do this. You talk about Tim Burton and I will simultaneously talk about Paul (laughs) Feig. Like right afterwards. (laughs) And you will not be able to understand this podcast. We will just be talking at the same time. Let's start with Ed Wood. Yeah. Because um, you're coming from a filmmaking background. That mm. might be just fun to, to talk about in general. Yeah. So Ed Wood is a movie that came out in the 90s. Um, it was a project that was uh, really interesting because at first, this is a movie that Tim Burton didn't really spearhead. It was written by someone else. It was and written it by was, like problem child writers. Yeah. Not like actual problem, but like the yeah. movie problem child. Yeah. And so, and yeah, and I think they did it as a reaction they were like, let's make a serious it, yeah. movie because everyone thinks we're making only family films, which is really interesting. And that's something Tim Burton can probably relate to. But Tim Burton read it and he was a big fan of Ed Wood. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, basically he was attached to produce it. And he, they actually wanted someone else to make this movie other than Tim Burton. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, the timing didn't light up. So Tim Burton said, you know what? Let me make this movie. Let's shop it around. And I didn't know this, but this was technically... A Disney movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Touchstone, Touchstone Yeah. So this is my, one of my favorite Disney films, I'd have to say. I'm just kidding. Really? But to all accounts, we're about to talk about the, about the movie here in a bit in Tim Burton, but to all accounts, this movie was a big ol' flop. It was a box office bomb. This is the lowest grossing Tim Burton movie of all time. Really? Yeah. This is the lowest his huh. films have ever made, um, but... One of his most acclaimed movies. I mean, just talking about critics and the fact that it won two Oscars. Right, yeah. Um, but this, there's nothing that came close to this in terms of losing as much money. As, as this one for did. Even this, though this was like a very low-budget yeah. movie, too. You wonder how it lost money. And that's partially how it was made. Disney said, uh, basically, because they, they would work with Burton for Nightmare Before Christmas, so he had a lot of goodwill with Disney. So Disney literally said, it's not a big risk for us, just... Do it. Do it, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think they were expecting to make any He money. didn't actually, well, I think I heard that Burton refused a salary for the film, too, to, you know, yeah. to secure creative So, control. lowest grossing movie for him, too. Yeah, I guess <laughs> for so his bank account. <laughs> kind of weird. But, of course, this, this episode is not about grosses. This isn't the box office pod. That's yeah, a different this podcast. This is the box office showdown here. Oh, good. Hold on. Idea for another podcast. Box office showdown. Mm-hmm. No. I feel like they're going to steal it now. Oh, great. No, so, Tim Burton... Um, I I feel like he he chose this movie because he maybe relates to this character in some way. Ed Wood, who's a real life filmmaker. filmmaker. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Ed Wood for a little bit? Like outside of this fictionalized thing in the movie that we ended up getting, but Ed Wood is a prolific filmmaker. Um, not in the sense that he was loved by everyone, but maybe even the opposite. People thought he made just awful movies, and uh, he would win these weird awards for worst movie ever made and worst filmmaker ever made. And it ended up getting to him because he died of alcoholism, which spoiler alert happens in in real in, life. In real life, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a kind of uh, it's a crazy uh, career because he's kind of like you know he's very famous now, um, but it, again he's only famous due to the fact that he was like very very bad at his job, and um, this movie takes an interesting approach to that. It doesn't actually show you any of, like, the darker... Because um, I'm sure, like, there's darker points of, like, you know, Edward's life that they probably could have shown. Um, it doesn't really take that approach. It kind of takes it as a... Um, this this movie frames Edward as being, like, the ultimate 
optimist. Yeah. And Even though he's like, a, a, apparently, like, you know, he's a giant loser in the sense of like, you know. Just everything in his life yeah. is not going the way it should go. But he is very, you know, glass half full kind of guy. Right. And powers through like everything. A, like a breakup. Yeah. Like um, all sorts of stuff. Like, you know, his um, his sense of identity, you know, yeah. which is, you know, because he likes to cross dress and stuff. And so. Well, the movie explores a lot of the difficulties in him making this movie because it is very much just almost a retelling or not a retelling but just a fictionalized version of the behind the scenes of him you know breaking yeah. into sets Dramatic to make sense. movies yeah. tricking people into investing into his films um sounds kind of familiar doesn't it oh <laughs> that's what we do no that's <laughs> that's something that uh yeah i mean and, and and for me it's very romanticized because uh you know this this is the old studio days where you had b studios and you can just show up and pitch them a movie and they would give you money and it was only five days yeah so crazy like i need someone who can shoot a picture in four days and like even Uh, by our standards like by modern standards that's that's insane oh no no a a 45 day or a 60 day film shoot is too short yeah like that's not good for a movie um but also just where the money came from i think at one point the baptist ministers which is real life too who invest in his plan nine from from outer space probably his biggest movie or the well most well-known yeah the one that puts him Um, on the map yeah if anything what i really appreciate from this film though is not so much just him making the movie because that isn't in itself a story or a plot just someone making a movie is not a a story, no, but his not. relationship with uh, Bella Lugosi, played by Martin Lando, who won the Oscar for this, yeah, for Bella Lugosi. Um, I feel like that was the most important part of the film, um, and that really is the journey for him because it's not so much a love. There's a small love story in it, right. but that's not the thing that drives him. And I feel like this movie really shared the importance and the way that he looked at uh, this actor, Bella Lugosi, who, who at this point was kind of washed up and not. He still sees his idol, though, which kind of like, mm-hmm. apparently this kind of reflects Tim yeah. Burton's real life, because Tim Burton, at the end of Vincent Price's life, you know, Tim Burton mm. befriended him. Yeah. And he was like, you know, starstruck and stuff like that. Yeah. But Vincent Price was already, you know, like, you know, he wasn't working yeah. anymore. And so it's a, it's, it's kind of like, I think that's why Burton might have like, you know, uh, gravitated towards the subject matter, because he was like, oh, it's basically it's me. my life yeah it's it's really something that's similar through a lot of uh filmmakers though i have to say is there's there's some sort of mentorship that happens either early on in your career or later on where there is someone who kind of imparts something to you and i don't want to say it's fully knowledge because bella lugosi is a tragic character in this movie he's addicted to drugs he's lost all his money he just got divorced um and, and i think so, that's played up in this movie as opposed to in real life yeah like, i think he actually died with his wife by his side it's not that life. bad for yeah, him okay well well that's why i was like i don't know if bella Gosa gave anything other than his name and maybe some courage to edwood right and not so much set uh an example for edwood oh definitely not yeah. it's a kind of this weird twisted thing but i feel like they made that because they, I think they made that choice to kind of fictionalize it a little bit to make it a little bit more melodramatic. Um, because I, I mean, the timeline probably doesn't line up to being historically accurate at all. Um, probably not. I think the movie's a little too positive to be that way. Yeah. Like the movie ridiculously positive. Yeah. It's actually. like, it's, it's, um, it's so weird. Cause everything around him. And I think that's where like, you know, that's where you kind of feel the Tim Burton zaniness. Yeah. Cause these like ridiculous situations are happening. Like they're getting booed and like, you know, they're throwing popcorn of them out of the theater. Like, they just run them out of the theater at one point, like, during a premiere. Yeah. And, like, all the characters are looking like if nothing happened. And it's kind of this cast of hodgepodge. Uh, they're like a cast of miscreants. Mis- yeah. yeah, misfits. Because, uh, the you know, the cameraman is second rate. The actors, one of them is just a wrestler. One of them yeah. is a washed up 
uh oh shit <laughs> fuck it's because these are real people so uh but the who are you talking about uh vampira talking about, yeah i was talking about vampira oh, who rest in peace she vampira. did sue uh what's her name elvira yeah, Elvira. She, she, she sued elvira for because elvira was basically the same almost the, the same person just like same. image like the exact same image yeah. like it's a late night show she shows horror movies um that yeah. kind of confused me i thought that was Elvira. Honestly, when I first watched it, it was like, but there's no way Elvira was, was alive in yeah, the 50s. Yeah, I was like, there's no way she's alive now and alive in the 50s. Yeah. Um, but so it is kind of this like this this cast of characters. But I, I think it also, the movie comments a little bit on um, art just overall because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of why I don't ever criticize filmmakers, even the ones for movies that I don't love the most. But it's because it I'm takes getting real talk here. Well, I'm just saying, like, it takes so much fucking work to make one of these it, things. It does. It is. Um, I think this movie shows that in a like again through a very like a through a happy lens because the stuff that's happening is our real stuff. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, in you know, in the movie, you know, there there could be a scene where uh where Ed Wood you know gets his funding pulled and stuff. The next scene after that is him conning somebody into like to you know, get it back on track right yeah even that, even at the end of the film there his main actor dies one of his main actors dies and that doesn't stop him using, from making the yeah movie. he's using like stock footage of him and then like you know doubles to do it which like that happens in real life um yeah making a movie is is ridiculously hard like it's it's i've i've done the same thing i think i've grown to appreciate like i can't just flat out just say that a movie like you know sucks balls or something because yeah. it could there's someone I've I've said this before on on the ROTS podcast. Um, there's always someone who was believing in what they were doing, and I think this movie shows like that type of energy or, or the type of feeling that like you know yeah. that some people feel when they're on set because like you know you just um you know you're, you're making a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like you know even like down to maybe like the a set dresser or, like a gaffer is like you know super excited to be there. That being said, sometimes you get like a you know shit you get maybe unaccompanied minors or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Like you get something that it didn't really work. And a lot of that, like we, I've, we've been there before. Like stuff is, uh, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. All my, the, all the things that I do, that they're all hits, baby. Claimed, yeah. <laughs> but we've done stuff that's like, you know, um, you know, better on paper than it is like on screen. And yeah. you just kind of just have to suck it up. But it, like, you know, the process of it is still the best part. And, and it's fun I, I think that's why I love this, the moment. Um, I'm kind of fast forwarding all the way to the end, but where he meets Orson Welles in the, in the bar, oh, yeah. and uh, because they are both filmmakers, uh, they both kind of have the same problems at that moment. Because Orson right. Welles says, "Like you know, oh gosh, you know, it's My all these financing yeah, all the finance and the studio right. stuff, and it's the same thing." And I feel like it kind of realigned what uh, Edward thought was a hero. Because in- initially, he said things that I say now, which is like Orson Welles made Citizen Kane when he was twenty something you know and i'm already 30 right. yeah. but so he idolizes orson wells throughout the film but it kind of realigns to be like hey um i feel like at the end he idolizes uh bello uh lagos lagosi more than he does orson <laughs> wells yeah because i want to say martin lando <laughs> yeah. oh, okay i get you uh, but so the actor who plays him but uh so i feel like that happens in the film which is interesting because i'm like at some point he has more of an affinity to this real life person who is attainable who actually went through stuff and he actually sees uh what all he did to achieve whatever greatness he thought he had um just being playing dracula um as opposed to this idealized version of orson wells who he probably thinks like is great all the time um but i don't know it's like it's it's like kind of like seeing your hero for who they actually are right yeah instead of uh this idealized thing and in some way that's what tim Burton was doing in his movie like ed edward's probably a hero to him in some weird way um and he's like here is ed wood 
And not only do I uh, appreciate who he is, but he's also a super complex dude who right. was not appreciated yeah. at the time, who fought everything to get his stuff made. Mm-hmm. And that's something he probably related to. And a lot of people probably can right. relate yeah. to. I mean, I think even like... Well, you said that Burton didn't take like a, a salary for this. He was kind yeah. of like, you know, um, just to get like full creative control of this. Mm. And it is a very ideal. I, I like that scene also because also like when you're looking at those two figures, it's they're literally on polar polar opposites. Like, you know, it's Ed Wood talking to um, to Orson Welles. I think that is obviously very fictional. Yeah, I don't think it ever happened, honestly. Yeah, I actually think like even the way that scene is set up in the movie, it's almost like dreamlike. It's oh. almost like he walks off and mm. like may have imagined that and then walks back Came, into yeah. it. Yeah, that's true because there is a, yeah, that's true because Orson Welles also very quick, I mean, there's no way that's real. I was, <laughs> I, I was going to nitpick all the things that meant that, oh, that never happened, but you know, it's a movie and that probably never did happen. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, like I said, it, it ties into the tone of the whole movie because it ends like very hopeful. Yeah. Um, both movies we're, t- we're talking about kind of end on a very happy note, even though they end kind of like, in, I mean, what the reality of the situation yeah. is kind of dark. And yeah, and, and I think the special thing about Ed Wood is it's entertaining, I feel, every step of the way. And we'll talk about all like the technical stuff, but just overall, because it's autobiographical, there's this really cool quality that makes you think like, oh, this is... You're watching like a yeah. You're watching people. I'm like, watching how it was, yeah. watching how it gets made, and you can't help but just root for Ed Wood uh, because of his optimism, even in the face of, I think, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, like his wife, being embarrassed of him all the time. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, I mean, that that shows, I think, the, the times of like, you know, because that's also like a, you know, he was, mm. uh, he did like to cross-dress. He yeah. said he wasn't like, you know, um, you know, he was still hetero, but, you know, he still had that like, that that complexity about yeah. him. Um, and that alienated, um, you know, in the movie, I'm not sure how, how true this is in the in real life, but like, you know, it alienated the Dolores Fuller character, the which first, was played by... Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. And it seems like by the time he meets Patricia Arquette, who plays the second wife, probably the one that stays, that he stays with him. With, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, because there is this this uh, evolution between him uh, find, figuring, who he, figuring out who he is as an artist and who he is as a uh, person. Because, right. you know, very upfront, she accepts him and he eventually has to accept who he is and what he can do on a set which is really interesting too. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like when I see him, I, I think of like all early filmmakers, to be honest, which is like, we don't have time for a second take. Yeah. Let's just go. Or we don't have a permit. Run. Everyone run. Like it's, it's a very fun kind of look into what independent filmmaking is now kind of. Cause it way. still happens. Yeah. Now. You're just like, Oh fuck. Like everyone's still trying to make their thing. Yeah, you've seen our Patreon videos yeah. uh, sometimes, so it's They're just not like... all great. <laughs> There's a lot of really bad movies still being made, which is really insane. Um, do you want to talk about Simple Favor before we talk about Tim Burton? Or actually, um, what did you want to say about Tim Burton? Right now? Like, I mean, a lot, but yeah, I don't know. How far should we go into Tim Burton? Uh, let's go into a little bit about like Ugh. the actual director here. Yeah. So, what do you think, uh, Tim Burton? It, like what do you, if a Tim Burton movie? Someone says like you want to see this Tim Burton movie. What do you think of like what is the? I think of um, uh, stripes, some stripes. You know, stripe, stripe Somewhere. imagery. Pin yeah, yeah, stripes, so pinstripes, little circle. You know, uh, swirls. Yeah. Um, you know, like the fucking the Wicked Witch of the East. Like you know, the shoes that like yeah. curl up, stuff like that. Like you know, um, I think it basically just Beetlejuice. Like I'm just <laughs> thinking of stripes of, and Beetlejuice. <laughs> it castles gothic like atmosphere. Obviously, oh yeah, definitely. Like gothic characters. Um, because he's really into like that, um, the German, uh, what's, what's it called? German expressionalism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all that stuff, like, you know, it looks, when you watch some of his characters, they look like they're right out of like, you know, Metropolis or something. You know I mean, like they, their eyes are super big. 
Um, you know, they're, they're like, you know, they're talking either, either a whisper or they're, they're very like, you know, almost manic in a way. Yeah. Um, that's what I think of when I think of Tim Burton. Well, Tim Burton has a very like dark gothic, but very playful, like visual style. I like that you said that because it, it's what I think of too, is like the super dark macabre, like, like a gothic, like very dark things, but it's always juxtaposed with something childlike or innocent. Or zaniness. It's or zany. Like, yeah. Even in this movie, Ed Wood is almost like a kid, like in, right, right, during yeah. the film, but all of this really serious stuff is happening. Drug addiction, death happens in this right, movie. Uh-huh. Um, and so if you think about any of his films, especially the earlier things, even, I mean, Nightmare Before, Nightmare Before Christmas, he didn't shoot, but he has a really big hand in Nightmare right, Before yeah. Christmas. But uh, like something like that, where it is super dark, but and it's playful and there's music, but there's someone... Uh, like there's death or like, you know, it's something really yeah, yeah. scary. It's, like, it's, kind it's of. against the backdrop of like normally like horror stuff. And you he started, I mean? and this is something that he, and this is what's really interesting and, and what makes him really unique is I think I just watched an interview with him at the, uh, the museum of modern art because now his art is up there. Uh, but from when he was a kid, he would draw someone with their head being exploded mm-hmm. with like colorful pictures or something like, and it looks right. exactly like the things he's doing later on in movies in life. Like- and this is important because his journey to film was him drawing, being an animator, mm-hmm. working at Disney, animating for Disney, getting fired, getting from fired, Disney. getting Pee Wee Herman, which did really, really well, and shot here in San Antonio. Uh, but then also, you know, slowly building the ranks. This, he has such a great affinity toward Disney now, and it's, it's kind of insane. But mm-hmm. it, it's uh, in the same moment interview because there's a there's a sense that Tim Burton's movies have become less Tim Burtony. I don't right. know if that makes sense. Like as uh, time worn on, I guess so. I was like, I, I, I can't really. Um, I'm not. I can't really. You know, add to that subject because I haven't seen most of his yeah, like yeah. recent movies. Like you know, I think Dumbo just came out. recently. Yeah, Dumbo. We're talking about Dumbo. Yeah, Alice um, in the Wonderland, which of course was like a Dark pretty Shadows. big hit. Dark Shadows, Big Eyes. What was it called? Blue Eyes. Big Eyes. Big Eyes was like its most critically acclaimed work in years, and I haven't seen that. That was probably like even more serious yeah. than the Ed Wood. Well, so the. Uh, I, I listened to him talk because uh, I got to because there's a seems like a very frustrated individual, right? Yeah. Like well, when he talks, he always seems like he's like, <sighs> oh, oh, well, 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 I, I there's I don't like know if I can do that on YouTube, and, you can see behind the scenes footage of Ed Wood, and then there's an interview about of him too, and he loves and he talks about his earlier films. What he really loved is he could show up on set and he could direct the shit out of. Uh, not just the people, but everything. So if you look at the behind-the-scenes footage of Ed Wood, he's literally moving trees into specific spots in the background. He's directing like extras on how they should move their hands, and they'll keep repeating it over and over again. He's uh, shouting directions over a microphone to Johnny Depp, and uh, you know he's uh, when they're lighting those UFOs, he's like really excited, and he's clapping, and he's singing with everyone. And he talks in this moment interview how filmmaking has changed so much to where everything was tactile, and he could literally be in a moment and get the best out of that moment to talking about how he sh- you can show up to a set and now the actors aren't even together sometimes. Like Johnny Depp and the rest of the actors may not even be together at the same right, time. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of green screen. And he says it's kind of this weird thing that he has to maneuver is when he grew up and started making movies that he loved, like Ed Wood um, and things like that, especially stop motion, uh, he was able to dictate and do actual film work. Mm-hmm. When you're on a set, and now it isn't. It's a very logistical 
thing. Like we have this person for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be talking to this person that's going to be here next week. Yeah. So it's a stand-in. And, and like, there's this green screen monster that we, we don't see yet, but you're going to see later on. Mm-hmm. So I could see how he has kind of lost that tactile feel of being on set and you're planning things and not actually in the moment doing things and discovering scene, things. Yeah. And it's a really interesting conversation that he has because he said it not in a really like upset way, but kind of in a sad way and in a way where he's still knowing that he has to figure out how to bring the thing that he loves bringing in his earlier films to the, just the way movies are made now. And I, I remember I thought of that and I was like, man, maybe his movies aren't becoming less Tim Burton-y, but maybe just filmmaking in general won't let his movies be, be Tim Burton-y because Burton yeah. he can't move props around because the props not there and he can't direct actors to interact with each other because they're not there together mm-hmm. like in this uh, behind the scenes thing it's 1994 because they don't have a ton of effects probably back then but uh, martin lando and johnny depp are on set all the time even when martin lando's not on screen he's there feeding lines or doing you know right, like yeah. playing off each other and i don't think that might happen now <laughs> like i Today. feel like that guy would go to his trailer or if it doesn't work with his netflix show he wouldn't even show up so it's a really mm-hmm. interesting thing to think about. And I know I went on a really long tangent on Tim Burton, but it's, it kind of explains to me what I f- see in his movies almost, right? which mm-hmm. is this desperation. And of course, these movies are big budget, so he's not going to say no because he's making millions of dollars off of yeah, it. Yeah, he hasn't made anything small in like a, a long time. I know. House yeah. in the Wonderland was a big box office success. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he's now being hired to bring some kind of uh, organizational uh, experience, but to bring some sort of small way his his aesthetic and everything, but they're not going to be, I feel like you almost have to take all that away and just give him like just a zombies or just give him a small thing. And I, and I don't even think the quality of his uh, stop motion has gone down when, when you give him the time to, Frank and Weenie was yeah. great when you give him the time to do it. And if he and has the, the interest, the interest, it, yeah. like it's going to play off. But I don't know. What do you think about Tim Burton? Like just in the past 10 years that you've kind of known he existed and watched his stuff and so so i don't know i've, I've fallen off of the tim burton train um like this i guess podcast like the the uh, original season three um i've fallen off of the tim burton train I've, i haven't been you know uh attracted to his stories as of late um not out of choice because i i still you know talking about it i still want to see like dark shadows like you know um i know that Seeing Johnny Depp on screen now, you know, as of late is a little weird, you know. Cons- it's very different. Yeah, it's very different, con- you know, even from like just a few years ago. But I do want to see that movie because I do like, like, um, I like Beetlejuice and um, comedic Tim Burton, you know. So, um, you know, Mars Attacks. Um, what's another fucking funny? Is those the only two funny Tim Burton movies? What? Uh, No, I mean, it depends what I guess you count as as funny because there's yeah. a, i mean there are parts in sweeney todd that's really funny oh, yeah i guess so i forgot he did that too oh sweeney todd i think yeah really really good um he also did uh i was gonna say planet of the apes that's not one of the good ones yeah. um but i haven't really been like you know like i said attracted to him lately i do think he's still like a man i will still always have like a you know um a love for him because of the, his early works did kind of speak to me um you know his uh, his old movies are basically about like, you know, outsider characters and, you know, this weird world. And I've always kind of like, you know, um, associated with like not normal, I guess not so yeah. much like weird. Cause there's well, things that I think is weird, but well, like, like Edward scissor, you, t- you brought up a good point. These outsider characters, but they're not necessarily like, um, they like being outsiders, which right, is really, yeah, yeah. they're not looked down on by society. Well, they are kind of, but they don't care. Ed mm-hmm. Wood is happy all the time. Edward Scissorhands is content right uh, yeah. corpse bride dude is fine the whole mm-hmm. time same with nightmare like uh jack skeleton these are loners who are happy and somewhat heroic being loners right which mm-hmm. is different than most 
Like if you're a loner in a normal movie, you're either the bad guy or you're going to slowly become less of a loner to become the good guy. Right. Yeah. And I think that that stems from Tim Burton's background of being like a super giant introvert, which I kind of relate to because, you know, it's he's embraces the weird and then basically makes a story out of it. You you're know? just you're just not as good at stop motion as he. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or like anything else. Or just Plato, really, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I mean, I love Tim Burton's um, stuff. I, I do want to see Dumbo. It's, it wasn't on my radar because I was never a big fan of the original movie mm-hmm. anyway. Um, that being said, I mean, when it comes out on video, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. Um, I, I, I love Tim Burton. Tim Burton's like, you know, like one of the master storytellers that I think people like his movies too, yeah. or else he wouldn't still be, you know, if he didn't have an audience, people wouldn't, he wouldn't be working. I think his movies have made $4 billion in box office. Of course, box office isn't the most important thing, right, but right, yeah. he has an audience and he, um, can make something different mainstream. I don't know if that makes any sense, but right, it's, it's something off. It's something that's still very like, um, very accessible, but there's always something like off about it. Yeah. And I, that's what I like about it. Cause it's not, it's not just straightforward, you know, um, I think the most straightforward stuff that he, he's done would be to me, it was like probably like, um, planet of the apes. Yeah. yeah but and I feel that, like that's the beginning of this thing that I'm talking about where there are all these logistical and effects things yeah, where that like he his, couldn't even focus on the yeah, style. His style kind of takes a back seat for, for, you know, due to all like the onset politics and the way, you know, stuff works nowadays. And it's, um, yeah, because I mean, like Sweeney Todd, I really liked, um, but it is interesting that none of Sweeney Todd was really good, but that was also a musical. Yeah. yeah, and and I don't know, it Alice in the Wonderland was was really successful, but that's also a like, known idea, it, yeah, pretty it was, big. It was a like, giant IP. Alice in Wonderland. It was it was going to be made like that with, with or without like yeah. Burton, really. Like, but and even isn't uh bright big eyes? Isn't that just an autobiographical that's, kind of yeah. semi autobiographical yeah, biographical kind of. thing too? Frank and Weenie was really, and it's still a remake, but Frank and Weenie was one of the most recent, just original from start to finish, like Burton Burton yeah. thing. So I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my wish is. I mean, my wish I think for his next movie or anything is like to maybe make a Blumhouse movie, honestly, like something that's $10 million and yeah. see what you can do. I do want to see him go, um, pull back and make a little bit of a smaller movie. I do want to see what, what he would do with like the Ed mm-hmm. Wood type of budget like today yeah, or something. We did see Big Eyes and Big Eyes, um, or I didn't see Big Eyes, but you know, when Big Eyes came out, it was like, it was most acclaimed movie. It, I don't think it yeah. got a lot of money, but like, you know, it, it was even more than Ed Wood. Ed Wood, everyone loved Ed Wood when that, when this movie came out. Uh, I don't know. I just know that that Big Eyes was actually not bad. Yeah. I mean, I have some like friends who watched it and said like, it was actually pretty enjoyable. It looks, I mean, because he also did Big Fish, right? Big Fish is also mm. like a... Oh, Big Fish is cool. Like, it's a very different... Right? But it's, it's also a book. book. Yeah, so oh, it's interesting. Shit, yeah. yeah. But so one of the weird things, too, is when he takes a risk like Big Eyes, I feel like because it doesn't make a ton of box office splash or anything like that, it will slowly train him to just... Not train him, but you know he he's more inclined to just continue doing the like Dumbo made a ton of money, like it's right. profitable, didn't make he's like gonna keep doing these big amounts, ones. but you know yeah. it's like it's it's kind of like hey you should keep doing this thing that because Ed Wood fantastic movie again worst performing movie he's ever made right like, yeah. lost a ton of money and so you don't really is, know what he's what he's feeling either he yeah. could like be just kind of getting like you know um yeah maybe tired or like frustrated mm-hmm. and shit like I think I think he's just now so because he has his own production company and stuff I feel like he's now such an entity in the filmmaking uh, arena that you you hire him to make your movies or produce the movies that you think in your mind is a Tim Burton movie um, without him necessarily telling you. Like, it's not him. He's not bringing you a project and saying, 
this is this you know is my, my, my thing. Spec, I think yeah. people are going to him and be like, "Can you Tim Burton this thing out?" Has he ever done that? That's kind of, that's, we probably should have done more research. On like, that. what do you mean? Like, like with like his he own ever brought his own like I guess he brought his own like yeah. flair to this movie. And he I did think, early like, on. Frank and Weenie, I, yeah. I think we're talking about like really early on. I think uh, with I mean I guess because I know he didn't want Batman. They yeah, just kind of gave it to him. So it is interesting. Like I I don't know what speaks to him. You know, as a yeah, filmmaker, artist. yeah, but yeah. he's really good. Like, I think his. I think he's an auteur for sure. Oh, I think yeah, I think he's one of the filmmakers that has kind of became famous. I know that sounds weird, but uh, I mean, in like ten like years, infamous now too. Oh, yeah. like there's, there's a negative mm-hmm. stigma. I mean, hell, the, the we're, we're recording this as like a response to yeah. like the the mostly most likely negative things that uh, Brenton Adams said about yeah. him. And well, like in five years, you're not going to know who the Russo's brother is. Russo's brothers. Oh, I didn't say Ooh. any of that right. But you know, not that you won't know, not that they're doing important things, take. but they're not going to, they're not like Tim Burton. Tim Burton over decades has built kind of this brand of thing. And, and like, if you go to a hot topic, you know what Tim Burton is because it's, Fucking everywhere. <laughs> Tim uh, Burton made that store. He yeah, owns that he, store. He gets money every time you get a Nightmare Before Christmas pin or something like, like a that. choker or something yeah. like a, like oh a God. choker. Ooh. Hardcore. Yeah. I think I think now he's just edgy enough to be family friendly. You that's know? exactly what it is. That's, that's probably the, the best summer you have of Tim Burton right now. <sighs> but let's go on the other. Yeah. So let's go on the to the... Uh, actually, it's not too much of a big leap. No. Just for this movie because the movie's not... I want to say it's similar. Yeah. Um, but we're at later Tim Burton and uh, Ed Wood is kind of like one of his earlier films. I think he had made more than 10 movies at that point. And we're about to talk about uh, Paul Feig. Paul he, Feig. He also hasn't made. Paul Feige? Paul Feig. No, Paul Feig. Paul Feig also hasn't made that many movies. So he's kind of still, even though he seems like a known person, he he's kind of still on his journey as a filmmaker and as a director. And I feel like he's maybe... He's tasted he's success, though. Yeah. yeah he's, he's had Bridesmaids and... Um, Spy. He's, he's Spy, yeah. I he's, heard a good movie. He's consistently one of those filmmakers who are sought after, I think. And, um, yeah. Like, I, I mean... He, <coughs> that's it. There, I, I was going to talk about Ghostbusters, but maybe we shouldn't. We'll talk about that a little later on. In his, Actually, in we can life. talk about Ghostbusters. This will be a callback to their previous season. I, um, well, I he's remember only, listening to two, the Ghostbusters three, four, episode. Five. but like they, He's only made eight movies total. Yeah, so Ghostbusters is probably his biggest, I would assume, because like the bo- yeah. that's the reason. I mean, didn't it make like money, but didn't make like the money it needed to make? Yeah, because especially since these budgets are bloated, it definitely did. It made over two hundred twenty million dollars. See, for any normal movie, that's like a hit, yeah. but, but the budget yeah. is one hundred forty-four million. So yeah, and then like, the marketing yeah. cost is like another like a hundred million. million or yeah. yeah, so it maybe broke even. But so, well, let's talk about a simple, simple favor, favor, and then we'll go into. Some, uh, some figgy, some fig, figgy, some, some figgy facts, figgy, 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 figgy. But a simple figgy fa- favor came out last year. I saw this in the theaters because Sophia really wanted to see it, and I was so pleasantly surprised by this thing. So what drawn? What what drew you? Oh, wait, you just said it. Never mind. Fuck. Yeah, Sophia wanted to watch it. I was really <laughs> interested in it, but I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I rarely go to the movie theater unless it's Oscar season, where it's like a thing that you have to see in a theater, or it's or it's like for Revenge of the Sequel, where it's a big. Oh, like summer? Like event type yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, outside of the summer, I re- rarely don't go. Um, uh, whoops. That doesn't sound good. But I do go to the movies other than summer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, like, well, I just went recently. Like it's not filmmaker. summer. It's springtime now. Um, uh, but yes, but this movie was so different than a lot of the other things that he's made. And I, I li- just listened to a really long interview that he did with the Build Conference over this specific movie. But what would you... This, I think we associate him as a comedy director 
over everything else because of, you know, he was a stand-up comic. Uh, comedians are really comfortable around him. Uh, characters, or he, he really loves character work a lot. And, and improv so, work. And, and improv work and giving people, actors, room to contribute to the, to the movie that they're in. Um, and I remember watching this movie and thoroughly enjoying like every moment of it. I was watching it and thinking to myself, like, oh, when will I feel that lull or well, will I... Well, or well, when will I think that this character is doing something that they shouldn't be they doing? Shouldn't or they, be doing, but yeah. this whole movie was good, I feel, and it was a very it explored a lot of different themes, more so than other films that he's made. Yeah. And it's a fairly simple favorite. Now, it's a fairly simple movie too, just in terms of like what's it what it's is. about. Yeah, it's um, it's I feel like it's all plot twists. Like you know, the, yeah. the I mean, they they kind of make the movie, especially mm. in like a little mystery like this. It's set up like a almost like mystery noirish type of like situation. Um, the characters are very like, you know, shady and um, you really don't know. Some of them are likable. Like that was the weird thing for me is like, mm-hmm. you know, the only likable person was like Anna Kendrick, but like she was almost like too likable. Like she was thrown into this world that like, you know, where no one else is like cool, I guess. Like yeah. I don't really like Blake Lively's character. Yeah. I, I like the writing she has. Like I love how cynical she is, but that doesn't make her like, I guess, it's kind of weird. I guess I'm contradicting myself. Like it doesn't yeah. make her like a likable character. Oh no, she. I. I don't think. I think initially she's supposed to be very mysterious, and I think of a lot of like Hitchcock movies that have this one character that you're not sure about. Um, oh shit! Which is the one where someone disappears from the train? Uh, I'll find it over okay. here. But it, you know, his movies are filled with characters who are strong in presence, but really lacking any backstory for a while so mm-hmm. you're like i don't know who how i feel about this person and blake lively feeds into that a lot mm-hmm. and, like a femme fatale. yeah and these movies don't have incredible set pieces so all you have are these no this actors and these lines and these plot points plot points and like these characters and that's i think where paul feig um excels and it's almost like the more stuff you add on the more because i feel like ghostbusters was was like action and obviously pop cult like it was huge so yeah there was like there was um, when you watch that movie now it's almost like a checklist like yeah he had to have all this other stuff but he was trying to get his own you mm. know character work in and those were probably the best parts of the movie to be honest like yeah. I'm remembering that movie off the top of my head right now and we did I it think, for the podcast i think oh yeah for revenge yeah we, we did for revenge and they also had an episode here too um, Ooh, that they can go back and so this will mark the third ghostbusters podcast <laughs> right hashtag not our ghost i'm just kidding but the uh, <laughs> release the snyder cut <laughs> but that like that movie i remember like i remember saying the best parts of that movie were the whenever like they were talking to each other like the non-ghostbuster parts like whenever the the ladies were just interacting with each other like that was like you know some of the funniest shit in that entire if you want to just say it in that entire franchise that well, three movie run <laughs> he, yeah because it was never really a comedy like a straight like comedy movie what? like any of the ghostbusters, ghostbusters movies i don't think it was meant to be a franchise i think that's where or where it went wrong is that like i think they try to pull too much of like a the lore one and done like concept oh, to me like well and, and this is kind of and when i when you hear him talking about his sets he creates his job is to create co-owners and everyone working in his movies which is very different than a lot of filmmakers so that means that he's going to try to um, have the actors be free. like he he always talks about like what makes you such a good director and what he says is I get the most talented people in the world and then I try to get out of their way like that's his idea and not to say that he doesn't make any decisions on set or anything because he's still the director but his mindset is 
kind of more of like a Woody Allen mindset. Oh, like, is he canceled? Can I say that? But you know, when, no, you can totally say oh, it. when you study like these director styles, there are a lot of directors who are very much like, you know, you're an actor. What do you think your character would do in this scene? Um, if it's wrong, like, you know, we'll do another take, but if you feel like you, he should do it this way, sure. Let's do it this way. Like, does that frustrate you? I mean, you've done some acting. Does that frustrate mm-hmm. you as an actor? I'm not sure if you can think as an actor. It depends. I don't, I, 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 well, so I, I don't think you can think. I know, right? <laughs> well, when I was in Citizen Kane playing Kane, <laughs> you know, but I feel like at that, at that level of acting, it, it doesn't, because I feel like when you're getting paid millions of dollars and you're, you know, obviously trying to win awards and shit or what, you know, not. Not that that's the only reason people are acting, but at that level, they are paid to be a character for six months. And I think not giving them that room is a really big disservice to them um, because they, they, they're they ultimately performing your vision, but they know that character. And this is what Paul Feig says all the time in all of his movies, because they'll ask him, like, how do you get such great performances from Melissa McCarthy or Kristen Wiig or, you know, uh, in this movie, Blake Lively and, and but. He basically says, like, they know the character better than I do. Like, at this point of filming, they've read the script, they've thought about their motivations, and they're in this room, so they know it better. They've sculpted it themselves. Yeah, Yeah. they know it better than I do, so I'm just making a movie that highlights the best that their character can be, or, you know, in that moment. And I I understand that. That's a really good, like, a little answer for collaboration there. That's pretty cool. And it's kind of a really different mindset, because, I mean, Tim Burton is similar, but when you watch these behind the scenes of at least young Tim Burton in his sets, I know we're not supposed to be comparing them, but he's very particular, and it's not bad to be particular That's totally true, because some... I mean, um, like even like a Kubrick. Kubrick was probably like you know oh, very infamously hands-on of what he wants on screen, like down to like yeah. you know the like a probably a scratch that the actor has to do. Like on and a, then on, on the completely face. other end of the spectrum is Woody Allen, where actors will literally ask him for notes, and he'll say he'll shrug his shoulders and be like, "That was good," and that's it. That's the yeah. directing that he did, or like that was really good. And they're like, "Do you need yeah. another take?" He's like. I don't know. I think that looked good. And so it's it's this really interesting thing that Paul Feig has. And I think that's why his characters, and people always ask, they, people assume he's just a great character director or something. Part of it probably is because he acted before. Right. And he's a stand-up and he's from that world. So he, he gets it. That's probably why, I mean, the people love how, I mean, he's really new, but Bradley Cooper directed in uh, A Star is Born. People are like, he's an actor's director. And they say that a lot, like, he's an actor's director or something. But a lot of it is just knowing what an actor wants. Yeah, in a scene. In yeah. a scene, and that's it. But yeah, so this movie, sorry, we off tangent. No, 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 I mean, but... it's, it, it, I think it makes sense because we're highlighting, obviously, the, the differences between, in this case, like Burton and yeah. Feig. And Feig is like, do what you want. Yeah. And that's why I was, I, that's why I asked you the question because I was like, wouldn't, because I, I don't know, I actually don't know anybody yeah. who would, but I, I can see like a point of view where it's like, well, you're not giving me enough direction. Yeah. So like, you know, I think if they're professional actors, that's fine. When they're amateur level like us, you have to give a lot of direction. Yeah. Unless they're super talented, which you never know. And he also comes from the word of comedy where improv is a practice. Mm -hmm. Like it's a. You're encouraged to do stuff. You're encouraged. So, I mean, in his movies where it's like Kristen Wiig, say 10 different lines funny, she can do it. And in editing, you're like, great. Like, which of these is the best? And Mm -hmm. um, that's not necessarily a bad thing for comedy. Um, and he talks about it in this movie too, because like this is a thriller through and through. This is a thriller. We don't want too much comedy because this is still a thriller, right? And so uh, there's less improvising that happens on set because there are really critical lines and plot points to the story. But where they can improvise is just the intention and the delivery. And Anna Kendrick, he said, would be he's like do it a little bit more awkward, and he, she would do it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but you know without changing you know the like fundamental what's, what's actually going on yeah. right yeah. what did you think about the actual plot of this movie because we're about to go i mean spoiler alert last spoiler alert if you've listened 
you know, 50 minutes into this and don't know, we're going to talk about it. What do you think about the major plot twists in this movie? So, um, the movie was pretty, you said it earlier, it was kind of a pretty simple movie. It's, it's about like this, uh, it's about a girl who gains basically a best friend, like a very awkward, like shy, timid girl. I don't know if she's even shy. She has a, she's a vlogger. Like, you know, she, she yeah. puts up like YouTube videos about, um, recipes and stuff. Um, really modern. <laughs> Yeah, it's right? super, like that whole, that yeah. aspect is like, whoa. Yeah, it's like making a movie about a podcaster or yeah. something, you know. Um Ooh, idea for a movie, a podcast. Well, Tusk already <laughs> took that, Kevin Smith. Oh, damn. But uh but yeah, so it's it's kind of modern. It's a, it's a little modern twist on that. It's basically this um so Anna Kendrick's character, I think I forgot her fucking character's name. God damn it. Stephanie, there you go. Everyone knows. Well, Anna Kendrick's character basically um befriends Blake Lively's um, you know, cold, kind of like very mysterious uh um, rich woman who like um, you know they meet through their kids at school, and um, Kendrick's character doesn't look like she is, she looks like she's kind of a loner like she she has too much time on her hands because like you know she's trying to volunteer. They have those scenes at the beginning of the movie where she's trying to volunteer for everything, um, and she becomes kind of the, she becomes kind of jealous and I would say almost envious or really just fascinated by Blake Lively's character, yeah, yeah. who is this rich, um, really classy. I, I don't even know what to really. say classy. Like, I don't even know she's what you would say. She's kind of a little crass, almost. Like, yeah. she, she seems like she's very frustrated and, like, you know, annoyed yeah. from her own lifestyle. Yeah, super enticing, but she knows how to make a martini. Like, she's, right, yeah. she's got all of these, like, points that make you envious of her life. She has, an, yeah, an alpha personality, too. Like, yeah. she's like, you know, you, you say something around her, and mm-hmm. she's like, what, what did you say? She's like, got this, why do you say that? She's like, got this really smoking husband. Yeah, this smoking, smoking <laughs> husband. Uh so she ends up basically disappearing after asking uh, Anna Kendrick for a simple favor, mm-hmm. which is to pick up her kid from school, and then she dips. And, and yeah. it kind of, you know, at this point, you kind of get vibes like a Gone Girl. You know, yeah. you really which don't know. Which I think know. is how kind of they pitch this is somewhat of a Gone Girl like type Gone Girl-esque thing. thing. Yeah. Um, all the twists that happen in the movie, I think to me, are like, especially towards the very end, like the, the third yeah. act. Um, I just saw this movie today, by the way, yeah. like right before recording. Um those twists, the way the twists are executed, um, it's kind of an insane thing. Like it's silly, a little bit. I, have you ever seen uh, like a community episode where like yeah, they keep thinking like it's like a theater episode where yeah. like you know um, they're all dead on the ground and then someone just keeps coming back to life. Like and yeah. you never knew that like I was in cahoots with this motherfucker. And well, it it that's is how a, I feel like this the ending of this movie was. It's like a soap opera twist, kind of like right, like you know there's Multiple a twin, ones. there's a twin, yeah. There's you know I was recording you the whole time, right, I yeah. shot you, but he's not really dead. Like it gets kind of crazy at the end, and it's interesting because in um, Paul Feig said this too, but this is also just textbook thriller or horror movie. For those two genres, the ending is so critically important because without a good ending, the audience will just think you were just fucking around with them for no reason like you know yeah, unless that ending ending is satisfying then it's just like what did you do all that other stuff for and you feel like you'll you'll lose them like instantly like oh yeah fuck this yeah like, you know it can go so wrong with like a with a bad twist and so that's why it's always so crazy that people even attempt thrillers or horror movies i mean it, because it is such a hit or miss thing and it's not a very gray area it's black or white like right. this was worth it or this was not worth it. I gotta say, like, I didn't see most of those things coming at the very end. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, she's showing up with a gun. Maybe she's just going crazy. Yeah. And then it's not until, like, you know, the dude plays dead. And then, yeah. like, I was like, oh, okay, fine. Because then another <laughs> twist happens after that. Like, oh, yeah. I was and recording. The, the final twist. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the yeah, things and then that. Yeah, the fucking final twist. What, what's really unique about this movie is it's directed by a comedic director. And so there are moments of levity in the film. 
uh, he even introduces a lot of his style. Like, there's French music playing in it. Like, it's a very Ooh, that's my big takeaway from this. Yeah, I want to listen to some French. Oh, it's music. pretty good, right? Yeah. French pop, but it's not so much that like they're making a like a what do they say? Like, it's not satirical in too much of a sense. No, no, no. it's not a parody. I don't say. No, like it's it's not a parody, but it gets close to like telling the audience like we're this is a fun movie like this is not oh yeah it's very entertaining it's, it's yeah it, it um i would say it's like dark comedy yeah because like you know there um there is a scene that i found i don't know why i find it hilarious it's maybe because the way i joke around is kind of like a, on the it's not as cynical as like the blake lively character but like there's a joke where she says like oh the best thing i can do for my kid is blow my brains out oh my god and like she laughs oh, it off, yeah. <laughs> and then like Anna Kendrick looks visibly like horrified by that joke. And I thought I laughed at that because I was like, I mean, that's something that like I relate to that type of humor. Yeah. Um, so that being said, there's lots of stuff like that like sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Blake Lively honestly never plays a character like she plays in this movie no, at no, all. No. Yeah. She's from Gossip Girl, but she's always like a goody. She's like a good character in most of the movies that she's in. Right. She's like, like a, a heroine. Like a less. Uh, oh, there's a heroine in this movie too. Oh, um, there is literal heroin, but uh, and there's heroin in this uh, podcasting studio right now. Um, yeah, she she kind of plays characters that are almost like the Kendrick character, but maybe a little bit less awkward because Kendrick plays this one like super duper yeah. like bashful and like she's like apologizing after every single sentence, and um, she has like the biggest change obviously because mm. I think the movie's about her. But yeah, it's really weird to see Blake Lively in, in such a you know, it almost seems like you can't phaser like she is like she's like this very very strong mm. um antagonist character playing two characters technically yeah and that's a, that's that's a twist that, in itself that was the biggest twist for me the, the uh, twin thing yeah i actually because, didn't get it i actually go I had to go back and reread it well I when they, i missed something well when they pull her out of the lake and it's her i was like oh she's dead maybe this is supernatural or something because you know because everyone's still seeing her the little boy's still seeing her i was like this is really weird because we saw her dead and then i was like is there a face switch machine like what's the was the thing and it was just simple like a druggy twin it was just like oh cool 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 um but yeah and i don't think like uh you know we talk about some of the comedy that sprinkled in this movie that's not really super unique to paul feig he's really good at it but if i'm thinking now of like uh a lot of hitchcock movies but there's comedy in those like in the birds if you remember they go into that bar and there's an old lady there she's smoking a shit ton and then she starts cussing like a fucking racehorse and she looks like a grandma. And I thought I was like, that's a pretty funny moment like mm-hmm. in this movie. So he, he introduces a lot of comedy and his stuff anyways, like to, I don't want to say to break up the, the thriller, but to make it just more real and more, more human, I think. Yeah. And they're not like visual. Um, I don't think like, uh, I can't think off the top of my head and yeah. I could be like just lying about this, but like when I think of a Paul Feig movie, most of the gags aren't like visual. Mm-hmm. Like they're all in the jokes, like in the delivery of a line or uh, something. Cause like, I remember this movie didn't have a whole lot of like, you know, visual gags. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a little, it's just Kendrick really. Yeah. I there's a, like. there's a funny scene at the beginning where Kendrick is like dancing and she gets caught by Lively's character. Yeah. I think that's the most closest thing you get to like an actual visual gag. But it's just really the delivery of uh, of the lines and the clash of personalities, really. That like, yeah, the, the I comedy think stems from the 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 dynamic between her and Lively are is so good in the movie, and it reminds me of because she's also Kendrick is also dealing with a lot of shit because it's not as simple as her being she had twists too i was just thinking a about a shit fucking... ton of twists like if you think about her character part uh, of that's part a of tragic this character part of this there. movie is blake lively um being mysterious but also basically looking henry kendrick and saying like you have secrets too like you're not as 
right. you know, transparent as you think you are, even though you have a blog, like you think you're just putting everything out there, but you have really dark th- shit in your past too. Oh, definitely. I'm just owning it and, you know, kind of making it even darker now, but and you're not. So it's, it's so crazy. I didn't see, and th- that wasn't ever answered, right? Like yeah. the fact that like her son could be her like, you know. Yeah. A love child. It's between a super her and her weird, brother. fucked up thing, and it's and it's this extra thing. Brother fucker. That's what like. The, yeah, that's what, that's a line. Saying. Yeah, brother fucker. And so I, I like really appreciated all of that extra stuff. And there's even a diversion because I don't know if you remember, the husband is implicated in the movie too, and so you have this extra thing of like, was it him? Like it. That's why I think the ending had to be really good because here are all these aspects and here are all these plot points and. Here are all these ways that you're making the audience look one way and not the other way, and I think it I think it pays off in a pretty good fashion because at, at a certain point it just becomes this power struggle between Anna and Blake Lively mm-hmm. and less of like who done it because now you know so now it's just right, like yeah, how ex- can you outsmart the uh, the smartest person Yeah right I think that that the um like the who done it part of it I think it was kind of smart I think it goes away before the third act actually starts like I think they kind of figure yeah. out like halfway through that she's still alive. And then the second, you know, the second half of the movie is basically how the fuck are we gonna yeah like how do this anything work about out? it? And it's so weird because it gets it gets more complicated as after Bake, Bake Lively is like you know um you know revealed to be alive. I think yeah. like the threads start being a little like you know, oh yeah getting tangled. That's not when this movie pumps the brakes at all. Like, no, it, not it at gets, all. Yeah. it gets even crazier. And I re- and that's why I think I really enjoy this movie is it's not um like it's not very and it was a book so i mean all this has has been fleshed out probably yes. over years and years and 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 uh Fig was able to just kind of like mash it together into a story that fits in an hour and a half but it is a very complex thing and it's but it's at the same time simple enough for you to understand by the time the movie ends like it's not too far into oh no not at all this is no inception of a you know movie right and it also ends very similar to the other movie we just talked about like it's kind of like they have these little um where are they now little Mm. title cards at the very end that um and it seems like everyone kind of has like a like it 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 feels very positive like the way the last one did because like the last one was only tragic because you read because they were actual like you know um because those people were actually real like in real life you know um ed wood did you know, descend into alcoholism. Yeah, almost skip. So in Ed Wood, you're like, oh, I mean, it it makes you feel. If you didn't see the title card, you would have thought that he went on to make some of the biggest like movies of all time. Yeah. yeah, but he didn't. He just eventually died. Yeah, he eventually died. Like basically, I don't think like broke and stuff, and then still making. I think he um couldn't get a job after Plan Nine. He started making porn after Interesting. a while. Hot, hot, hot stuff. Um, and like you know, in, in in the video business, and you know, it's it's seen like if you go from like film to like. Because you're basically blacklisted if you do porn. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't get, like, any, like, you know, crude jobs anywhere. Um, at least that's what I heard. Like, I don't want to, like, you know, have people who are listening or who work in porn. And I mean, me, Kim like, Kardashian is now, you know, one of the most uh, famous I mean, people. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. But, um... I mean, let's watch it right now. <laughs> Ray J? Is that his name? Ray J? Yeah. The guy okay. who was on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Kim Kardashian one? Hot, hot stuff. Yeah. That that just threw my mind somewhere else. I have no idea where it's I was going It's because you're, you and all of our listeners are now imagining it, baby. <laughs> yeah, that did actually kind of like, it, it threw me off. Um, but, oh, no, no. But he didn't ending. have a happy life. Oh, yeah. Edward didn't have yeah. a happy life. But, like, it does seem, like, again, like, you, these, it ends very positively for what tragically happened mm. to these people. I think he ended it where Tim Burton would have liked it to end. Does right. that make sense? Like, if, if yeah. this is where Edward died... Oh shit, that's kind of morbid. But you know, is this where if this is where his life kind of 
I don't want to say ended. It's the same thing as died. But if, if you know, if this is the perfect spot, this is the height of Ed Wood. When he went down for the big nap. Yeah. And Jim Burns like, here's a hero of mine. This is how I want to remember him. Right. Because after that, it's all downhill. Really. Like I watched Passion of the Christ all the way up to when he's on the cross. Because, you know, I don't want to see that. Right. Yeah. Cause in my head. Spoilers. In my head, he's still alive right now. Um, a Simple Favor ends like that. I feel like it ends very positively, even though, like, what happens to these characters, I mean, some it's people... extreme stuff. Yeah, some people live, I mean, obviously, I think all of the characters are better off. That's the weird thing, is because, like, you know, Blake Lively goes to prison, and she's having a good time. Like, she's, well, like, playing basketball. And, like, there's some very playful music yeah. over it. Um, so, and Feig did leave it open. I know this, this is, like, the worst thing that Hollywood has ever done, but uh, he did, did leave it open for a sequel. Did he really? Yeah, he did. He's like, what you'll see is... He's, he was like, we'll have to see how the movie does. And it did pretty okay. Um, not an insane amount of money, but way more than its budget. Um, I think it made about $100 million and the budget was 20 We talk a lot about box office. Um, but oh, yeah, right. hold on. Let me, let me, let me see if that's, that right there. Yeah, I think it made about close to $100 million and yeah, it cost yeah. 20 97.5 million nice. and then um, the budget was 20, 20 So, million. and But um, he did say that the film is very sequel possible. But part of it is because no one's dead and gone right yeah like everyone except for kinda, you know the twin yeah and see like that's so like Weird. that's a pretty dark thing what to can do. you like, do a triplet oh my god because she um she's very not like super sociopathic about it. like yeah i killed my sister and she also started a fire right when she, she killed was her kid? dad like, yeah like well, so I, mean, well, I mean that that death looked like it was kind yeah. of like you know like something like of a almost like it needed to happen because of what was actually happening but still like the fact that she's so nonchalant and about even, like this shit and there's even two parts of that because for there's a part where you felt like she did the right thing. I don't know if you recall when, when she's telling the story, uh, the first time you're like, Oh, she's doing the right thing. Yeah. That's what I, um, I think that's why I said it. I was like, well, I think the, we were talking about the dad's death. No, no, no. The sister's death, when she's explaining it the first time. Oh, like she's like, Oh, this is the right thing to do. But then it's not like, you know, and then uh, like, so it's even weird that like the same, even after she revealed what she did, uh, people are still on her like uh, like the filmmaker uh, as film you're like oh I'm still on her side until the audience yeah yeah she switches to the actual re- like it was not the way that she right, described yeah. it I was on her side up until the very end because then she yeah. got like super cocky and then like got hit very comedically with like a car yeah and then that was just kind of like oh okay cool and yeah so overall pretty good but yeah I, I just thought that that was kind of interesting that the um uh that both movies kind of like the ones we're talking coincidentally kind of almost have the same ending of sorts like mm-hmm. of a similar tone. And it's kind of weird because I think we're, when we're talking about Ed Wood and A Simple Favor, I mean, we don't know because Paul Feig hasn't made many more movies, but I feel like we're at the same time of their film careers. I don't know if that makes any sense. You've said that before we started recording. Yeah, like, I, think, I think I know what you're like. You know, Ed, Ed Wood saying. is Tim Burton in his element, knowing what he wants to do without the distraction of effects and all the other stuff that I talked about early right. on. And so he made Ed Wood and... Kevin Feig is Paul, Paul also Feig. Paul shit. Fuck. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, it had to happen. <laughs> but Paul Feig is also in the same place. Not because, you know, he's super successful and everything. Cause Ghostbusters was a crazy journey for him, but this is this movie. I feel like he was a little bit more free to do something mm-hmm. that he was comfortable with. And we ended up with probably one of his better movies of his eight movies that he's made. Um, and very different for him. So I feel like they're kind of in these, in 1994, Tim Burton and 2018, Paul Feig are kind of in the same kind of free mode of their filmmaking right. where they have all of this goodwill and they have all this energy 
and they kind of have this focus on what they want to do and what kind of movies they want to make. Mm-hmm. And they chose to go smaller as opposed to going big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, yeah. So Burton, I, Burton says that, yeah, like Burton for Ed Wood said that he always like storyboards his movies and that for Ed Wood, it was, he said it was kind of like, you know, um, liberating to like yeah. not have to storyboard, like, you know, doing, figuring it out on the spot, which yeah. is like a Cronenberg thing. Cronenberg one time said like, you know, I don't ever storyboard any of my movies because that's not filmmaking. Filmmaking is being there on set and with the actors and figuring out the blocking, what makes a scene and this and that. So did the guy that made George Miller, is that the guy who made Mad Max? Uh, Fury Road? Right. I don't I think he might have had to fucking storyboard that. Well, so he talks about like some of the big action, but he said that if you don't know how to make a movie without storyboards, then you don't know how to make a movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because he, uh, and, and I, I, we got to look into that because I feel like a lot of it had to have been storyboarded, right? But For a movie maybe, like that, yeah, it's not like a fucking yeah. drama movie where like, you know, show up one day and be like, what are we going to shoot? But I feel like yeah. uh, maybe a lot of it was maybe because if. Uh, that's the way that he thinks. It's it, kind of crazy. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, now that you're saying it, I think we're. I mean, because that production was. Uh, it was in production for years. Yeah, so maybe it was that so, way. Yeah, you're probably where right. he was like, "Here's this giant exploding thing. Where should we put the camera?" Kind of thing, and before they even got there, <laughs> I'm sure like his crew w- would have killed for some storyboards yeah. at that moment. Like for something that big, like yeah. holy shit. Well, that's why I really like this pod is because you can kind of explore all of these different approaches to filmmaking i gotta say uh-huh. and these two people have very different tim burton uh, aesthetically and they're probably kind of, theme wise very different yeah they're very similar in this sense that they kind of produce like very commercial looking um commercial you know looking fluff for, for mm. people to to enjoy like you know um they're both very real about what their job is and because tim uh-huh. burton yeah understands that his movies have to make a profit. I mean, he's working now directly for Disney, but so does Paul Feig. And Paul Feig knows that, you know, if I'm going to be attached to something, like I'm, I got to, I got to do something that's super entertaining Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get these actors that are going to be really good. Um, and just give them the freedom to, you know, enjoy the thing that we're doing. But yeah. yeah. So it's kind of weird to think about the two of them in the same space, but I guess all, all successful directors have a style that worked for them. So, yeah, definitely. these two have theirs. So yeah, this is a pretty funny, interesting cap off to a to a previous season of Director Showdown. Yeah, which I is weird. It's... Which is us both liking them. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how like uh, Adam and Brent are going to come back next week, and they're just going to be like, "What the fuck is this? Fuck that episode <laughs> that, that does not reflect our yeah. views." <laughs> well, it, I mean, I I don't know. <laughs> I think I mean I think that's why I chose these movies. Or like you know, or like you know, when we were talking about like what what movies to do for this, like I do, I did want to do like a contrast to. Um, the stuff that was talked about before. I'm not exactly sure how much they, you know, they gushed over Burton or Feig in the last. Um, I I can't imagine much because mm-hmm. you know, looking at looking at that list of movies, I mean, not a whole lot of them were hits. I mean, I, I I have a personal liking to the original Batman, but that's just my bias and my attachment to it. Mm. It's not like the strongest superhero movie, but I mean, out of those, it's the, the most. Time, enjoyable. I think adjusted for inflation, Batman is still one of the highest grossing superhero movies. Like of all time, yeah, because it, one. it yeah. was just insane the the success of that. And after that, I think Tim Burton got to just do whatever he wanted. That was yeah, that's the thing that probably just put him on the map. And it's kind of like the way I mean, Feige, Feige, fucking hell! Now you got me calling him <laughs> Feige um, after Bridesmaids. Blast, or yeah, blasted off after Bridesmaids, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and it's not. And I feel like what's really exciting uh, is they're both still out there. They're both still making stuff, and so we don't really know if the best thing that they've done is behind them. Uh, or in front of them, like, I mean, we don't know. In uh, in Burton's case, I'm not sure. I think that like 
I, 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 smaller. I, I, I believe that yeah. he can do something really good, though. Mm. I mean, people like Dumbo. I've never seen it. The reviews are mixed, but like you know, that doesn't that's never stopped me before mm. from watching a movie, and that certainly doesn't influence my opinion of of a flick. He's got to make like swamp swamp thing or something. Like he's got yeah, to do so a... imagine something like something like that. That would be really cool, or like something. He, I don't know. I'm just thinking like, what if he does something like super happy or like something. You know, that yeah. contrast is Big like Fish, I thought, was really, really good. And it's That's not... a sad movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess it is sad. It's about death. But yeah, like, it's not... Uh, <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> like, it's not super grotesque and, like, uh, yeah, gothic as a lot of his other stuff. Well, that's why Ed Wood... I think Ed Wood is literally the... Um I mean, other than Planet of yeah. the Apes, because that's a different story for, like, you know, the production. It's a very different, different thing, yeah. But, um, but Ed Wood is, like, you know, all of that without any of, like, the gothic stuff. Like, it's still pretty zany. You can mm. almost see that's, like, I mean, gothic influence in it, too, it's almost filmed in, in uh, straight up black and white. Which, yeah, black and white. Yeah. And then um, it has to do with, like, old B-movies, which yeah. are just monster vampire horror and stuff like that. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Edward A plus plus. Yeah. Do they rate things on Director Showdown like five five stars or two stars think or something? So I think they say like you know they give a recap like so like they um would you I don't know if they I actually can't even tell if they say would you recommend this movie I think they we talk about they talk about the movies and how like they affected us and whether or not like you know yeah. we'd seek them out again. But I could just be remembering Revenge of the Sequel. <laughs> At this point, we're just doing whatever. Uh, who knows? No, but it was really cool uh, to be here, I guess. And we can, I guess, start to wrap it up. Cause, uh, yeah. We, you, we, you got two movies. Two movies in one. You got a little mini season in yeah, this thing. Yeah. A whole season where we said everything is good. Yeah. We're like the Ed Wood of uh, Director Showdown. The director Showdown. Yeah, this is the Ed we're Wood We're smiling episode. and we talk like Johnny Depp. <laughs> this is a literal Director Showdown Ed Wood episode. Oh, At the end of this, we'll just be like, I think we got it, John. My improv is very, very and, bad. And you'll episode. be like, should we take another take? And I'll be like, no, I think it's good. I actually legitimately tried to uh to do a, uh, an impression of adam at the beginning of the podcast yeah. and i failed horribly i, I think wouldn't I even have, try yeah i might have yeah obviously i heard your <laughs> impression of brent um i apologize for that brent <laughs> um uh i think i might have hit clayton instead of like a <laughs> i feel like yeah. i was talking about clayton instead of instead of adam well um, it's yeah and i think what's really I, i'm excited to see what's next in the next season of this this pod and right, yeah, what, like just, who's who's next and Mm-hmm. They gotta pick someone. I think the the yeah. I think what's really good or the easiest thing to do is pick someone who has a really big back catalog because you obviously need movies to talk about. But what if they pick someone who has just like one movie under their belt? That'd like, be kind of like weird. Josh Trank versus. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Uh, I mean, maybe not one. Maybe a couple. Damien Chazelle versus uh, Josh Trank versus Jordan Peele. I know that doesn't. Like, uh, I'm Jordan pretty Peele. sure Jordan Peele actually yeah. like would win that one but like that's cool to think about because yeah. i think they both just only have two movies well and to, to me it's really exciting too because if you think about being alive in like the 90s early 2000s during tim burton and i mean he's still around forever but you know it, it's interesting because we're in like I, I look at the directors who only have one or two movies and thinking like you know i we're really getting to see what they have to offer <laughs> you know like it's like Jordan Peele. Bring, bring Jordan yeah. Peele. Like, is that who you're just thinking of? Like Jordan Peele? Well, like him. Damien Chazelle's obviously Damien Chazelle still really, really good. fantastic. Uh, it was good repertoire. But even like the, not the super dramatic ones. Like I'm talking about like Gareth Edwards is freaking like, he's uh-huh. he's going to build himself an insane uh, prop closet of the things that he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm thinking about like people like him too who are just killing it in the game right now. Yeah. Fucking I'm- killing it out there. Yeah, that's oh, why yeah. I like this, pod- this podcast. There's a lot of educational value in this podcast, especially like on the... I mean, we we were doing like a little abridged version, basically for um. They got the they got to do Woody Allen, Roman Polanski. 
Ooh, wow. Roman Polanski, Rudy <laughs> Allen. What? I said something about Chazelle and someone else. Like Chazelle, I think, and Matthew Vaughn yep. or something. I um, think I Ryan Coogler would be cool, too. Ryan Coogler is a pretty good... I think he's got like a Gareth Edwards-type repertoire soon here. Ooh, uh, Ryan Coogler versus Gareth Edwards, yeah. possibly? I know we're bo- just giving him all the ideas. Well, because they, they both have these uh, really small-budget, like, Fruitvale Station monsters immediately to known IP, which is Rocky... And then what Godzilla, right? Godzilla, Isn't yeah. it? And then straight to like a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. Like it's a very know. insane jump and it's almost unbelievable. And they're both young. And so it's almost yeah. like an unbelievable thing to be like, damn, you did something that cost you 15 grand or very little to immediately getting like the pressure of uh, don't fuck up to another bigger level of don't fuck up. This is Marvel and Star Wars. So yeah. I mean, it's exciting to see this. I mean, opposite Josh Trank. Uh, yeah, because I was like, then there's the story where the people actually fuck up and yeah. they just get removed. Um, yeah. Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I you guess. know what they got to do? They got to do a pair. They got to do like uh, like those like brothers, like not just like I mean like Cohen brothers, Russo brothers, the Duffer brothers. Uh, <laughs> oh, a brothers like one, a brothers right? do. Like, and you know, Cohen brothers versus yeah. what like or the, the who's Wachowskis, the the, like, the the Wachowski sisters. Um, but what about the uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball people? Uh, what, are, what are the names? Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah, they have a pretty okay like. Like they're, pretty early they're on, they're killing it too. Yeah. They have a lot of game and comedy. They're they're also been producers of stuff for like a long time. I oh think yeah, they're EPs and sh- they're comedy folk, show writers on How I Met Your Mother back mm-hmm. in the day too. It's kind of crazy. That'd be cool to do a brother thing because it's a four on four in equal fight. It's like tag team wrestling. Okay, cool. I was like, where's this going? This Let's do cool. studio versus studio. Yeah, <laughs> studio versus studio would actually be not not a bad idea. Well, Disney wins because they have to just oh, buy sure, everyone up. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Edison versus uh, George oh, Millier or something. Just bro- throw it back. Like Thomas Edison wins for inventing it first, but Millie, but he loses also for not trademarking anything. Right. Yeah. And then Millier because they got everything for free. <laughs> kind of crazy. That's pretty funny. Uh, well, guys. Thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah, thanks for listening to us here on the uh, this, on the Sticker Bridge Network. It's pretty yeah. awesome um, being here. Uh, thanking, uh, want to thank Brent and Adam for allowing us to do this episode. Um, it was a whole lot of fun. Um, it's really kind of cool um, switching it up there and then talking about two movies per episode and mainly just going into the uh, you know heavy director work. Um, I don't know if we've ever gotten this detailed without like you know vamping or just like talking like in general on yeah. RTS. Um, well, we love directors. We love the people behind the camera. Yeah, and this was like a really. I was geeking out actually just talking about this because like we um, normally we kind of stick to like plot and stuff like that. But I really do like you know talking about the actual storytelling of yeah. it because um, I think that that's what um, this podcast is really all about. Just in comparing them, you know, the different styles of of different directors. Well, it's kind of this, uh, and this is an exploration because there's two kinds of film criticism. There's the you know, every movie, there's a name for it, but there's like every, and like Pauline Kale, like there's a whole list of critics on one side and then one on the other side, but there's this idea that films stand alone. It doesn't matter who directed it. It's just this movie stands alone and it should be criticized as this one thing, mm-hmm. this single thing. And then there's the auteur theory, which is the thing that I love, which is we're on this journey with Tim Burton or on a journey with Paul Feig. And this movie is this step in their journey. Right. And it's like an extension of like yeah. this. Yeah. And it's them. always yeah. about the context of, well, his last film was like this. Or this is something he introduces in all of his stuff. Um, and I always enjoy that because it's a little bit more human than saying this movie is just a movie that was, you know, good or bad. End of uh, 
criticism, yeah, which yeah. it's a little of both, really. But I think, but yeah, I like the auteur theory. Maybe it's because we like to make movies too and write and do I other think, things. Yeah, I think we're biased in that, but in that aspect. This this podcast definitely explores that side of everything because it's literally a movie by movie journey of mm-hmm. one person, which is. Kind of insane. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to plug this podcast. Go back and listen to their most recent season. I think it should be um, pretty much wrapping up. Which episodes are you on? So um, they just finished Fincher Fincher versus Nolan. Um, I am on the Prestige episode uh, on the Christopher Nolan side. You like that movie? I do like that movie a whole lot, actually. I think it's really... There was another movie exactly like it that came out in the, the same Illusionist. year. The yeah. Illusionist. I think we, we, we talked about that on the podcast. Um, you should check out that episode um, to hear more. I've also been on uh, previous seasons of Director Showdown. Um, can't remember for the life of me off the top of my head. Oh, no, no. One of them was Videodrome in uh, um, mm. David Cronenberg uh, versus Carpenter. And then um, before that was um, some Tarantino ones. I think I was on the... Um, Tarantino versus PTA, right? Yeah. I was on the um the master, which is like, you know, I've for Director Showdown, I've actually watched these I think I've seen these some of these movies for the first time. And, you like the master? Um, yeah, I love the master. You like Scientology now or what? I mean, like <laughs> the subject matter, I guess, yeah. or like, you know, but the ma- the the it's a fucking epic movie. Just thinking yeah. about it right now, it's kinda like making my mind my mind kinda wander to that. I'm trying to like kinda bring it back. Um, that movie is fucking yeah, great. Yeah, it's really good. Um, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, you you were on uh, the Hateful Eight episode. Which, yeah. Uh, up until recently, you found out that I know. Guinness World Record. At one, the yeah. time, it was. But yeah, uh, yeah, Hateful Eight, yeah, Hateful Eight was good. And I feel like now that there's a Hateful Eight on Netflix, like there's more that you And a Hateful do. Eight show, basically. It's yeah. almost like a little... Um, they, they split yeah. it up into episodes. Tarantino, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic thing. You can listen to that and then watch, listen to the podcast afterwards. And now we're going to plug our own shit. Yeah. Uh, plug, oh, well, also listen to anything else on the Sticker Phrase yeah, Network yeah, yeah. as well, too, because this is the primary network that we are broadcasting to right now. Um, and we uh, also do a couple shows on the Delphin Pod Network. Uh, there's a couple. I, I guess I'll just go down the ones that we're on. Uh, Revenge of the Sequel, the podcast just about sequels. 100 episodes. More than that now. I think we're at 120. Like, it's, there's a, there's a lot, there, there's yeah. a lot of... Uh, we, but we talk about movies. We often talk about the directors of these movies, actually. And we actually interview some some directors. of them do, yeah. They're, they're not as um, it wasn't as in depth as this stuff. Yeah. I think we, I kind of want to adopt. I'm gonna t- some I'm gonna, of this, yeah. I'm gonna steal some of your shit, <laughs> guys. Um, but I kind of want to adopt like some stuff like that and uh, and a more like you know, uh, serious discussion about like production wise on that one. But um, we do get into all sorts of yeah. Uh, things re- involving sequels, whether it be production history, yeah. um, and it's evolved in, in time. And, I've, and uh, it'll probably do. It'll probably change again now that we've yeah. been away from it for a while. So, like you know, but if you like, uh, at some point when they do the Robert Rodriguez uh, versus whoever episode, Robert Rodriguez is on our yeah, podcast. Yeah, Says yeah. so Lloyd Kaufman. Um, but yeah, and then we do another podcast called Countdown to Infinity and Avengers podcast. Um, yeah, so if you like if them, you like that sort oh, of yeah. stuff. Nobody yeah. likes the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Uh, but yeah, but yeah, for this podcast, like it, review it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that'll help everyone. That'll help them. Yeah, um, that's, that's, and it'll help everyone around. Yeah, yeah. cool, cool, awesome. Thank you. All right, later, guys. Bye bye. <laughs>